0: The Octarine Tree, a podcast exploring the meaning of ecology, spirit, and human relationship. From South Western Australia, I'm your host, Lyra Joel. G'day Mob, welcome back to The Octarine Tree podcast. Today I'm speaking with a chap named David Spicer, who is very well known, at least in the Australian Uh, permaculture and regenerative agricultural community and around the world increasingly. As you'll hear he does a fair bit of work overseas or did so before COVID. Uh, David grew up on a rural property in Schumet in New South Wales and I have to say of all the people I've met in this scene in these fields, David is just about the most well-skilled individual that I know. There's a saying, I think David Holmgren co-originator of permaculture, said in advice to people, permaculture students or otherwise, to be a jack of all trades and a master of two or three. Uh, Reminds me of the old Sufis, the uh, mystic Islamic sect movement. The students of Sufism, I don't think monks is the right word, but the students of Sufism, part of their training, other than the meditative and mystical, was to be as skilled as possible and I think they had to have seven traits that they were highly skilled in and at least a master of one Abe Spicer is like that when it comes to working on the land and in these regenerative human systems he can kind of do it all he's taught me a whole lot and he's a bloody pleasure to be around he's a, he's a very valuable human being to have on your side especially if the shit hits the fan if it does if the shit hits the fan Head to Tumut, New South Wales and ask around for David Spicer. I do seem to have a little bit of a cold today. A little bit slow, a little bit croaky. But other than that, it was lovely having a good chat with an old mate. In this chat, we talk about his time growing up, his discovery of permaculture, his time with Bill Mollison on Tagari, not Tagari Farm in uh, Tasmania. Uh, His work in Morocco, his trips to Japan, uh, Earthworks and his visions for the future. So, uh, without further ado, my mate, David Spicer. So, David Spicer, welcome to the Octarine Tree Podcast, mate. How are you today? Been a while. Uh,
1: yeah, it has been a while, mate. Um, you know, good, busy. Uh, corona madness didn't um, slow life down, so, you know, that's good. I went from 80% international work to, you know, 100% national work or state, national, statewide. Uh, all good, mate.
0: Awesome. Good to hear. And where, where is here? Where are you at the moment?
1: Uh, currently, I'm um, on the banks of the Hawkesbury River, just out of Sydney, on a project I've been working on for a while. Um, now, most of you would have heard that most of the Hawkesbury or Richmond area where I am went underwater. Um, so, yeah, we're sort of just um, doing a bit of repair work on a little bit of stuff and, and continue to move forward with the project.
0: So you were on that project before the flooding?
1: Yeah, yep.
0: And now you're, you're patching things up, are hey? you?
1: Yeah, yeah um, it's just with, like, where I was primarily working, the flood didn't affect it. There's a, there's a dam which catches a lot of stormwater from the road above it. Um, so there's a hell of a lot of water come through and, um, we had a few little nicks and cuts, um, but for the amount of water that, that, that comes through the side, all's pretty good, so I'm pretty happy with that.
0: Uh, and where are you actually based nowadays? Are you back in Tumut area? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm back in Tumut in southern New South Wales, um, for me and my darling partner Eri Adetta, who I think you did met years ago. Yeah, yeah, we met. Um, I have two beautiful children now, um. And, yeah, we've got a half-acre property just outside, in between Jim and Gundy guy. Um And hopefully we're about to sell it and um, look at purchasing uh, a little bit bigger property and potentially with a few people, which sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. Complicated, but interesting.
0: Yeah, that's always a bit complicated.
1: <laughs> you
0: remember you and I and Barker were looking at land years ago? Up around uh, the Shannon?
1: The Shannon, yeah, nice country up there.
0: So you grew up around Tumon area, didn't you? You grew up in that neck of the woods?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Do you have a pretty rural upbringing relative to, like, most kids?
1: Most definitely, yeah. Um, We, like, I I lived, we lived sort of where I grew up till I was about 11, but in that time, you know, we had, we were quite self-reliant, self really. Um, we had a large garden. We had dairy animals. We had meat, uh, rabbit, fish. Um, you know, my father trapped rabbits for a while and we, yeah, done a lot of tanning. You know, he sold the rabbit carcasses and uh, the the pelts went to Cubra Hats. You know, we cut and distilled eucalyptus oil when I was a bit younger. Um, so it was my job to drag out the heads of the trees out of the forest cut mine props, um, fence posts, and, and worked on, you know, farms. We we uh, were renting a house on a larger farm and my dad would, you know, help out with the sort of livestock management, you know, mustering and, and marking and, you know, drenching and all that sort of stuff. So I was involved in all that. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel quite blessed, actually. It was pretty tough. Um uh, for some reasons, but uh, in some ways I was very fortunate and, and I I didn't actually know how lucky I was until I got into this sort of, uh, whatever you want to call it, culture game or whatever, mm-hmm. when I first went to Tagari Farm yeah. in 2000. Yeah. Um, I was actually astounded at the, li- the lack of skill of most people and that that's not being offensive to anyone. No. It's just that I was in some ways in a bubble um, of self-reliance and you just do it or you have a go at doing it and that's the mindset. Yeah, so I'm very lucky.
0: I've mentioned it before but Tagari Farm was the farm that old Bill Mollison started up in Tyalgam in northern New South Wales back in the nineties, I think he started it, maybe late eighties, I think. Yeah, 90s. yeah. yeah. You went there in two thousand.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yep. Was that your first introduction to permaculture?
1: Uh, yeah, look I, I actually done a P2C with uh Bill in Tasmania the year before. Right. Um and I you know I I learned by doing um and I just asked Lisa Mollison where I could go to get some practical experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and she put me in that direction. Um, and, you know, then I sort of I started to do the real learning just by engaging in the systems. Yeah, that's how I ended up there.
0: Did you find, like, for someone who already had a really strong background in rural life and farm work, what did you find permaculture actually added? I mean, what were you actually learning?
1: Uh, it's uh, the interconnection that it, that it gives. It's uh, the systems thinking. Um, look, you know, be, before I, I, I actually went to university for one day, um, <laughs> yeah. as a mature age student when I was 25. One day. And I sat at university and one I was day. like, wow, nah, this is not for me. Anyway, but, you know, synchronicity or whatever you want to call it, where I was staying, uh, the lady put on Global Gardener, Bill Mollison's movie, uh, Global Gardener series. Right. And I was captivated and right. because of his intellect but his hands. Mm. You know, and someone from me coming from a working background. Yeah, you know, the hands tell a story. Yeah,
2: it's true. And when
1: I seen Bill's hands, I knew he had he had not only the brains, uh, but he had done the work. Yeah. And that's, you know, powerful for me. So uh it saved my life, I say, true. actually. And and it was the it was the interconnection because you know, before that, I worked in so many different jobs. You know, I worked in, in agriculture, I worked in horticulture, um, you know, in orchards. I worked for, in forestry, I worked in building um, housing mm. and uh, earthworks, um, fencing. I mean, I've done lots and lots of different jobs and nothing give me the connection, yeah, you know. Yeah. Now, you know, I'm sitting in you know, on a site where I can talk about fencing, I can talk about building, I can talk about earthworks, because primarily that's what I do, uh, but I've got experience in that. And permaculture really, you know, whatever you want to call it, I don't care if you call it permaculture, whatever, yeah. but it's just systems thinking, you know, ecological, smart design. Yeah.
0: Holistic system, Yeah,
1: holistic system, yeah.
0: Uh, It is interesting because I've kind of found myself in the position now where I'm on larger gigs. I almost become by default like a lead consultant after a while. Just whether or not I go in in that capacity, I usually end up in that position because I'm at least conversant in the forestry, in the fencing, in the earthworks, in the animal systems. You know, I might not be a master of any of them, but... I have, a, I have an understanding and can talk that language at least. Yes. So I end up kind of sitting in the middle as the guy talking to everyone and being able to arra- arrange them in that holistic way, whereas otherwise mm. there would just be separate systems going on.
1: Totally, mate. No, It's a very valid point. But you said
0: before as well, I heard you said that permaculture saved your life. Was mm. that tongue-in-cheek or did you mean
1: that? No, no, no. I'm 100% serious about that. I was an absolute furious young man, okay, um, I drank lots and I'd done lots and lots of fighting, you know, street fighting. Right. Uh, I was pissed off. I was furious with the world. You know, we're, I was I was building houses that are facing... And this is before I knew nothing, okay? Yeah. So we're building houses facing the road. In the middle of winter, you step inside the house and it's dark and cold. Yeah. That's just stupidity. A brand-new house, you know? Um, forestry that's just... But you can't call it forestry, actually. It's butchery, yeah. you know. So much stuff that I see is butchery. And, and I'm fucking furious about it, actually. I'm still furious. I'm lucky I have a, uh, a, a somewhere to anchor myself and to vent and to pursue my, you know, positive movements. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I'm still furious. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, I can have fun too and be angry.
0: You're really affected and still are by the impracticalities of systems that, that we are still perpetuating now.
1: Totally, totally. Does it piss you off? Oh, fuck, okay, absolutely. I mean, you know, where I'm working now, like I have to drive through the western part of Sydney to get here. Yeah. And so I'm seeing, seeing the urban sprawl of the new suburban, you know, mm. uh, subdivisions or set developments, and it's just horrendous. Yeah. My kids who have travelled down there with me now, like, uh, you know, Tao's 10 and Isla's 7, and they're just looking at them, shaking their head, going, but Dad, that doesn't make sense, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, it's just illogical.
0: That sprawl of Western Sydney has now taken over the old yeoman's property of Yobani. That's a housing development now. Yeah, yeah. That should have been made some kind of national heritage site. Yeah, I
1: agree, mate, totally. I agree, I agree. Yeah. And, you know... There's this lady called, oh, I can't remember her name, Judith Schwartz or something like that. She's American. She talks a lot about water, mm. very intelligent lady, but she said, that she I listened to a podcast and she said, you can't blame urban people for not understanding the problem because their environment is so bland that their imagination is so bland. Yeah. Like, if you step out of your house and onto concrete and into your car and into this and all into manicured human environments, mm. then you can never understand and appreciate the wonder of nature, mm. you know, because that's what we do. Like, we're, I think we are in awe of nature, yeah. you know, or natural systems. It's beauty. It's elegance. Uh, it's just mind-blowing. Because we are engaged, and therefore we respect and we admire and want to align ourselves with and work with nature, yeah, but a lot of people can't think that way, don't know why they need to, and it's really answered it 's put me at peace,
0: my point is: you spent a fair bit of time around old Bill Mollison, like you were fortunate enough to land. <laughs> in Tagari during the thick of it, and you were able-bodied and, and skilled and obviously got along with the guy pretty well, but you hung around a fair bit.
1: Yeah, I, I did. I mean, When I was at Tagari, Bill wasn't there. Um, Mr Lawton was there. But then in 2007, I went down to Tasmania, and I worked for Bill and Lisa down there for just under a year as farm manager down there. So, look, you know, shared many cups of tea, um and went fishing, and lots of bush stories. And you know, I had some similarities because my father sort of grew up in in a similar situation to Bill, as in you know, he was younger. But you know, they trapped rabbits, they worked in the forestry, and I had exposure to all that, which is probably an unusual thing for someone of my age yeah. to to still be exposed to that harsh reality of bush life.
0: Yeah, there's something like the Australian character that I grew up in the burbs, but mm. the way you grew up feels to me the way like many Australians grew up maybe a whole a whole generation or two before you know like bush life. Not, yeah,
1: I think you're right. Not
0: even country, like it doesn't even fit. Not just country. No, no, no. Because some people live in the country, but they get up in the morning and they drive a combine harvester around. You know, <laughs> you lived old school.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel very. Fortunate yeah. to to have been exposed to that um, that that life and that mindset too. Actually, yeah. that that just do it.
2: Just do it. <laughs> Examine your scalp for ringworm.
1: You know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of probably meaningless work and butchery that went on with that life. Um, but in saying that, you know, you got to respect and admire their survival skills. Yeah. Because
0: it was a hard life. Life back in the like pre, and I'm not saying you grew up in a pre-industrial state, but life in a kind of. (laughs) But then pre, I was going to say the pre-industrial world or a real living on the land context. Yeah. Anywhere can be tough, but I think Australians have lost the appreciation for how hard it was in Australia during the colonial era. And I mean, I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to paint them as uh, victims, and all sorts of gnarly shit went down, but um. To be living in a land that didn't resemble the homeland of the European people, (coughs) to try to, like, apply the skills or what what life skills and land skills they had that worked on their landscape back in Europe in Australia would have been extremely tough.
1: Totally, mate. I think that's a really, really relevant point, actually. You know, like, uh, two years ago, I went to Georgia in America uh, for a job over there. And um yeah, the, like really great guy, Doug Roberts and his family. Um uh, but you know what what it, and he'd been there, um, their land was actually some of the first land that was taken off the Indians American Indians in Georgia. Um and but but what it it gave me this insight that here they are, they come from Europe they had the same environment, you know, same sort of yeah. biome in yeah. a sense, you know. But
0: not very similar.
1: And these, Yeah, and these skills were just passed on.
0: Yep.
1: And it really made me think the challenge of Australia.
2: Absolutely. You know,
1: Australians, when we come from Europe to here, totally different landscape, vegetation, everything, you know. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's just a mind twister. Yeah. But it is a real mind twister. And the the mind twister is how do we how do we actually get back to a sustainable culture? How do we we can't rebirth it? How do we go
0: forward to one?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly, mate. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I don't. Australia's never had one. No, I agree. Yeah, like in the US, they did. Apart from the fact that they're a couple of hundred years older than us in terms of the European occupation. Mm.
2: They've had
0: functioning village life. Mm -hmm. They formed folk culture that was, to a larger degree than here at least, tied to the land and the natural cycles because it was so similar. Mm. I mean, no, it's not identical, but Northern America, many parts is very similar to the landscape that they came from. Over here, like almost alien.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think like, you know, Australia has some benefits in that. Like my wife's Japanese. And she loves Australia because it gives her freedom, yeah. you know. There's no cultural boundaries in place. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's a gift for us. And we've got to rebuild our culture. Mm. And I believe, I firmly believe, our culture is going to be rebuilt or rebirthed through food, yeah. actually, through sharing food, through sharing culturally diverse food and communicating about food. And that's my belief anyway. I want to see that happen. Well, you know how powerful. Food Absolutely, is? Oh. and it has so much power and so much engagement. Yeah, and I think that can actually get people from different cultures or different backgrounds or beliefs. I think it can give us a common denominator. Yeah.
0: Do you remember the time I smuggled, I smuggled um, corned beef down from my house to you? you yes. and that, tuna <laughs> and and Jeff.
1: I do remember that. Jeff (laughs) thought it was
0: contraband because it was all wrapped up in alfoil. (laughs) Today's episode of the Octarine Tree
2: is brought to you by Facebook. Should be working, but instead, Facebook. Traffic lights have turned red, Facebook. Got five minutes, take a shit, Facebook. Facebook. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook.
0: Facebook. pork. the uh, a fun day. Just say too.
1: He came
0: over, like, ready to backhand us, and, like, he's, what is that? <laughs> Unwrapped it. It was bloody corned beef. He had a good laugh. <laughs>
1: Not pickled pork. That yeah, was like a... <laughs> true, true. That was good fun, you know.
0: Like, I did a couple of years here, and they're working on actual permaculture farms and institutes, and for all their uh-huh. dysfunction because that can be pretty dysfunctional but yeah, that, man it's so invigorating so much fun that year in particular I had so much fun with Barker and yourself dropping in every now mm-hmm. and then and um, Marcello mm-hmm. and uh, or just all the woofers and the students and international you know when you're in that in that environment and you've got this constant stream of yeah. students and the woofers and teachers from overseas and you know, there's doctors and accountants and lawyers and scientists and painters and plumbers and artists, just everyone from all types all around the world and the discussions are so invigorating and everyone's just in the zone is what it feels like.
1: Yes, no, uh, I, I totally agree with you, mate. I mean, you know, I, I think we do generate our own luck, but in saying that, you know, I feel very blessed or lucky to... To um, be involved in all that, and you know, that's why I'm sitting here today, yeah. you know, where I am today, is, is from all them interactions. Yeah. And uh, met my beautiful wife, well, met my first wife at uh, Tagari Farm, yeah. And now, uh, you know, I met my second wife at, um, at, uh, Zaytana. I do, I remember, I go. remember. You,
0: like myself, actually, you've taken a few return trips to Morocco to do work, haven't you?
1: Yeah, 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 I've been to Morocco
0: tell us about your experiences in morocco and how the similarities or differences from australia the times when i was driving down roads in morocco and with the landscape and the eucalyptus and the casuarina and the acacias i thought to myself if it wasn't for all the donkeys i could be somewhere in australia right now
1: i'm 100 percent with you there mate um i you know with uh, Laurent Levy, I remember driving down the road and he was listening to an Australian band on on the radio and uh, I could have sworn, as you said, you know, in an overgrazed, degrading landscape (laughs) uh, with a few eucalypts sticking around, Uh, I could have sworn I was in Australia and and multiple times I could have sworn I was in Australia, you know, uh, on a lot of the landscape. And in fact, actually, you know, we've got a hill, like a a steep ridge west of our house, Mm which is overgrazed by, continuously overgrazed by sheep. And that's my Moroccan hill,
2: you
1: know. I I can see Morocco coming to Australia, you know, particularly two years ago, like when we were right in the heart of that drought before the fires come. To me, there was no difference, Mm. you know. Overgrazed. Mismanaged. Morocco
0: is like this postcard for, what, 10,000 years of deleterious agricultural effect on the landscape. Hey, You can actually watch Morocco go from a rounded, humid landscape to a kind of squared, eroded, desertifying one in real time.
1: It is a shame, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's some good people there in Morocco now and there's some really good stuff happening, um, you know, uh, which I'm very, very excited about. Um so, you know, I've been lucky to 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 do some work in Morocco, which is great, you know? It's on a
0: fair bit of earthwork, and it's one of those places where remedial earthworks can really shine. It makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah, after going to Laurent's and I sort of showed him and his guys how to do these uh, one-rock dams or, you know, um, like tiny little check dams, and, and I got some good footage from that. And then the second time, well... The other time I... Last time I went to Morocco, I went to the High Atlas to a place called École Vivienne, which is a school, um, a private school set up by a lady called Ido, who was German, who married a Berber guy, and she didn't want to send her kids to um, mm. the the classic Moroccan school. So she set up her own school. Um, and, look, I you know I had tears walking through yeah. this school. It, it's just incredible what they do. Um but mm-hmm. what's... Oh, it's amazing, mate. It really is really in 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 yeah, Ecole called mm-hmm. It's called, mm-hmm. um, and what they do is, is bloody incredible. Like if people's if people can't afford to send their kids to that school, they're, they're, their the the parents are allowed to come in and work for the tuition fee. Really? Um, it's a whole. It's it's based off. Um, it's a little bit like a Steiner school, but it's based off a Swiss uh, model. But you know what? And it's only five acres what we were working on, but there's City Musa, which is the big mountain next to it. Um, the school had flooded. They only get 250 mil rain, and, but they do get summer storms there. And the school had flooded, okay? Uh, again, because it's overgrazing. You know, there's no management of the livestock. Um,
0: yeah, no, no, none of the water is caught, it's just a big drain.
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, people have been killed in the middle of summer from some storms. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, totally. Not rare over there.
1: Yeah, yeah, multiple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. But what was kind of profound is we have done these little, you know, like crescent moon shapes or, you know, one rock dams in, in, in little watercourses or yeah. tiny reels and all that. Yeah. And because that was at human scale and the kids could see that and they actually went out and done that... They've taken that knowledge and they've taken it to their landscape and their farms and they're starting to do that. That's a huge win for me. Yeah, that's success.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know,
1: at a human scale
0: that's as good as it gets man when you see them recreating on their by themselves mm. and of all the things they could do they do it up high up in the landscape and they're doing it on mass it's actually it's going to have real effect
1: a huge effect
0: i'd love to go back i would so love to go back and work with the villages i was there before because you could feel the potential there you know the, the landscape could absolutely hum and when they do they do get a decent summer rain as well like it If the landscape was set up in a way to catch and make best use of that water, they could do amazing things. There is something really valuable and heartwarming about working in dry land systems. And I was talking to, you know, Neil Spackman?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a lot of respect for Neil. Yeah. Great job.
0: Likewise. So I was having a chat with him and he's just going to the nuts and bolts of how the systems work that he installed over there in uh, Saudi Arabia. And there really is, there's something really satisfying about dry lands work. Mm. And when you, when you actually put those leaky weirs or check dams or check drains or whatever you want to call them, into the landscape. There's just something so satisfying about seeing the rain come and the silt and organic matter getting caught behind those rocks and it building up. They're perfect places to plant trees and they hold the water for longer and they seep the water out for longer after the rains. And if you've got enough of them in over a landscape, you actually get, you know, trickling water through the summer season again. It's something just so satisfying about working on dry land yeah. environments. Do you feel that?
1: Oh, totally, mate. Totally. It's a, it's a big challenge and you, you you turn up and you go, oh, my God, you know, where, where do you start? But you start at the top, you know. Uh, yeah, and if you yeah. if you apply that, you don't need a big machine, you know. You can do a hell of a lot with what you're just talking about, you know. Um, yeah. And I think that's profound. Yeah, it is. and. Like, I'm saying that there's a property in um, uh, just near Canberra in Braidwood. When the bushfires were on two years ago, they were pulling out something like two megalitres a day out of these leaky weir systems that they had installed. And they were recharged, they were filling back up from that plumed landscape, from that water stuck in the landscape, which is quite profound. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I mean, that, that's a big one that it's not even, it's not. It is talked about, but not as much as it should be, just the, the passive rehydration yeah. of landscape. Yes,
1: yes, yeah, yeah. No, we're we really... We need it, mate. You know, um, we're, we're lucky this year, but, you know, go have a look last year where we were. Um, yeah, like, you know, I, we, we need to change our behaviour. Uh, we need to... We need more examples, yes. Um, yeah. But it's the simple things that are that often are the most powerful,
0: I think. You would have thought, like, enough little one, two, three wall check checkdowns yeah. high in the yeah. landscape could have such an effect downstream. Totally.
1: totally. So,
0: you obviously, with COVID, you're not getting overseas much anymore.
1: No, I haven't been overseas for two years. I kind of... I'm, I'm, lo- I'm loving it, actually, because I haven't been on a plane. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, look, you know, I, I miss it. I could have went to Morocco uh, at the beginning of the year with Ecoasia. Um, uh, Asia. Um, they wanted me to come over with, with another guy. Um, uh, what's his name? A lot of He's a French guy, a mate of mine who's asked me to come, but I didn't go anyway. Um, so I'm, I'm managing to get about a bit. and I've got this project here and, you know, I've got more. Yeah. But thankfully, you know, while we're well, just getting uh, work more more work, which is coming, which is great. Uh, primarily yeah. earthworks. K- Kostia have a project in yeah. Morocco where they're planting, uh, I think it's about 600 hectares. It's a big project um, where uh, Lodo, Lodovic is a consultant forum and um, right. in the north part of Morocco they'll be planting trees.
0: So uh, have you been to Japan?
1: Yeah, multiple times. I love Japan. I'd move there tomorrow. In the mountains, in the forest. Really? Oh, it's gorgeous, mate.
0: You yeah.
1: Oaks and chestnuts yeah. and cherries and persimmons. So much food. Really? You know, so much. So this goes comes back to what we were talking about before. When you talk about the Americans yeah. coming to, you know, the Europeans coming to America, same, well, same vegetation yeah. type. It's like going it to Japan yeah. and I see oak trees and I see chestnuts and cherries yeah. and persimmons and I go, Oh my God, you're so lucky, you know. Um, you know, because it's that that blessed Im- environment, you know. Um, yeah, so I'd move there tomorrow in the mountains, definitely. So the pollution from China's terrible, um, you know. But we're we're in uh, Kyushu, so in the South Main Island uh, of Japan. Um, but it's beautiful, you know. I love it. I, I you know, I love the culture.
0: The pollution blows in. You, you can feel it all the way from China, the smog and stuff.
1: The, yeah, the mountain yeah. ranges are blocked out. You know, they're not that high. You know, you can't Jesus. see maybe a hundred meters above uh, ground height when it comes in. You can't see the mountains.
0: Oh shit, that's unfortunate. What about like the traditional any traditional systems over there? I've got mates who are carpenters and. Um, mm-hmm. And even myself, like the tools, their hand tools are so awesome. They're beautiful. I got a hori knife the other day. Have you seen the hori knives? Hori hori knives for they're they're a gardening tool. They're like okay. a cross between a knife and a garden
1: spade. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think I know what you mean.
0: Yep. That and a pair of secateurs, and I'm set. That's all I have. Even when I do farm work now, yep. they're amazing. Their hand tools, like the way the Japanese, it's just about. Perfection, right? Like they so they just get it right. They take the time. Have you had a look around any traditional systems off in the in the countryside of Japan? Yeah,
1: no I have. I've been very lucky. I, uh, a few years ago, we visited uh, takafuruno the dark rice um, and para duck. And you know, with uh, Eri's, my partner's father, has taken us up into the mountains uh, quite a few times, and we've seen some old-style sort of rice paddy, you know, old houses. But I'm a I'm a tool fan as well. Any blacksmith place, I stop and I draw mm. and I purchase. Um, yeah. I mean, I've got a – yeah, I, I love Japanese tools and the quality of them. You know, I, if I see an old building, you know, I, I take photos. I love it. You know, I just love the, the earthiness yeah. of it. Um, but Japanese tools, are, you know, I – I've got karmas and um, sickles and chisels and, you know, hooks. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, I've spent up pretty big when I've been to Japan when I can and I'm ready to go again. You're
0: going to get that tool bug. Uh,
1: it's the efficiency, you know. They're just nice to use. They're well designed, yeah. as you say, you know. They're, they're, they're balanced to their, you know, great steel quality, like, um, yeah, they just make manual labour so much more fun. It's where we've got to go. I think we've got to have a rebirth of, of these skills, mate. You know, yeah. And uh, re, you know, and that's how we'll we'll build our identity. It's like the French, you know. Uh, the French are mm. they're so proud of their individual region. They have this pride, yeah. you know, and I think that's kind of powerful. And and th- this is where this. Uh, I don't know, what would, you, what would you call it? You know, this sameness that the Western culture has developed or the modern Western culture, you know, McDonald's culture. Yeah. Everything's the same wherever you go.
0: I call it the in- industrialised culture.
1: The industrialised culture, yeah. It's just there's no soul, and uh, you know, no soul attached to the landscape and what the landscape produces. I think mm. that's going to be a rebirth of culture too. We've got a big journey ahead of us.
0: But... We do, but I think, you know, and it's going to be a bumpy road, but I've got great faith we're actually 22. going to go somewhere quite amazing. And that's something that gets me a lot. I've Actually, I've been asked to do a talk to critique the Davos Institute Great Reset and its approach to ecology and agriculture. Okay. And one of the points that keeps coming back to me is just the lack of concern for the, the loss in regional and local identities. Yeah around the world yeah we mourn the loss of species but we don't seem to give so much concern for the loss of particular human cultural forms or language types and in a world where there's this weird dichotomy where you're either a globalist and you're all for pulling down boundaries between countries and and dissolving any national identity if you are pro- national or regional identity then you're some kind of kind of right-wing thug yeah but there is a positive aspect to what we might it's not even nationalism but bioregionalism it's yeah. one of the most beautiful things there is is the that human sense of even identity individual or collective identity based on a relationship a human relationship with the, the landscape that goes back countless generations like I am of these people and we are of this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That... Once upon a time, like even, even in Europe, every, not just region, but every valley, every village had its own food types and song and tartan and clothing and dog breeds and cheeses and da like... Yep. So diverse. Like, when I was in Morocco, I remember teaching this village over there. Like, it was an amazing experience Um, over with Ollie in the foothills of the Rift Mountains. One of the things I I tried to get across to them was that. Try to hang on to that. Like, have pride in your regional identity because the alternative that's becoming increasingly apparent around the world is just this you know beige homogeny everything is the bloody same the old fellas in the room were really glad really really thankful that I had said that that because mm-hmm. yeah because you know the kids were listening to me mm-hmm. you know like they they wouldn't listen to their the old fellas, yeah, yeah. their own elders but they were listening to me mm-hmm. and the kind of penny dropped with them are like oh okay mm-hmm. right yeah
1: Yes, um, that's a really great point, mate. I, I, the first time I actually went to Morocco, I can remember sitting in um, in a village called um, Big Ordain, um and uh, this young guy, through the translator, you know, electricity had come to the village a year before and therefore TV. And this young guy said, I want to hmm. trade my donkey in for a car and move to the city, you know. Because they just—they right. seen that was the dream. They didn't want to live a life of poverty, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that was fine. And that's
0: idea. understandable, you know. If you want to, uh, it is. wanting it is. to escape poverty, I mean.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think this is a really relevant point, Byron. Like that, we need to sort of hammer down that we can create a beautiful life in the country. You know, I'm happy. I'm happy to live in the country, more than happy
0: yeah you know and when when kids you know they might look at a field and think, "Well, oh, there's nothing happening. But when one has acclimatised to the subtleties mm-hmm. of the natural world and the patterns that are going on therein and all the, it's a hive of activity. You know there's so much happening in any any shot, in any direction when you're out in nature or in the countryside. You know what I mean? Like to the untrained eye, it can look like nothing's happening. But when you catch that bug, that's what I love about it. I love it. You know, like when a young person might be really into skateboarding and they kind of obsess over it and they're really into it and they get to know all the tricks and all the moves and all the best brands of the decks and the wheels and the trucks and the bearings and all the coolest skaters and who's doing what around the world and all the new fads. You get really into it, right? Yeah. Whenever you're passionate about something when you catch that bug about the natural world and the human relationship to the natural world, suddenly the entire world is extremely interesting and really, really passionate about it. But it's a really beautiful thing to be able to just step outside and some of the most amazing conversations I've ever had were just hanging out with other people in this field, going on car trips Mm -hmm. or going for a long walk, you know, and just being able to spot this and spot that and talk about this and talk about that passion for the natural world and the human relationship uh, to it is actually extremely invigorating and it's a really beautiful thing.
1: Yep, totally, mate. And I feel very blessed in what I've managed to become known for or primarily do, and that's plant the water. Because once you plant water, then life expresses itself even more you know, which is so cool, so yeah.
0: cool. Well, you, and you are bloody good at it, and you are getting a well, you've already got a reputation for being bloody good at it. So I'll leave you there, mate, because signals yeah, no is getting a bit wobbly. Yeah. But can you let the listeners know where they can go to get hold of you or see what you do, or maybe even say good day? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, g'day, listeners. Um, well, you can look at uh, com. Mm-hmm. Um, on the website, or you can look at uh, Doc underscore Pomaculture on Instagram. But what I want to say is, I'd like to start sharing more of what I've learned. Yeah. Um, and try to do some more video, um, just to empower people. Yeah, that's that's my aim.
0: Yeah, I think so. I'd really encourage you to do that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, I need to.
0: I've seen your work, and it's really awesome. It's beautiful, and I, I for one, would love to see more of it.
1: No worries. Well, thanks, Warren. Pleasure,
0: mate. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for taking the time.
1: Uh, No worries, mate. All good.
0: Okay. I hope to share a beer with you sooner than later.
1: No worries. One day, mate. But the world's a small place at times.
0: It is. It is. All right, mate. All the best. All right, mate. See you, buddy.
1: Okay, take care.